0: You know, this message is for everybody. There's, there's no, you know, it's not exclusive to any one group, but I do wanna emphasize the dads and the men especially, um, primarily because we as a gender have taken such a big hit uh, in what it means to be a man over the last few decades. And so many young boys are growing up not knowing what it even means to be a man. I mean, they see on the, on, on, you know, on the internet and on TV, they see what, it, what Hollywood would tell them what a man looks like. You know, how much money they get and how many cars they have and how many women they've been with. And, and, and they, there's all these misconceptions, but what does it really mean to be a man in the eyes of God? See, I love Jesus and I, and I as God of the earth, I worship him as the God of this earth. But as he put on humanity... Became incarnate. He lived a life for about 33 or so years as a sinless man and gave us men especially a template on what it means to be a real man. So I worship God or Jesus as God, but I also, I also admire him as a man. I see him going from place to place, and you don't see him uh, influenced by outside culture or influence. You see him being the same person each and every time. I mean, he changes uh, emotions for situations. I mean, he, he weeps when Lazarus dies. He doesn't weep when he's at, with the woman at the well. But what I mean is, is that he never goes into a situation, and because the circumstances uh, or, or the culture has changed, says, yeah, that's allowable or acceptable. He, he doesn't judge or he doesn't... Um, Live life as a man according to the world. He lives life as a man according to God. And so when I think about what it means to be a man, because at the root of being a dad is being a man, um, I look to Jesus. What did he do in this type of situation? You know, Jesus wept when his f- friend died. So when I look at that, I, I look at, I, you know, if my own friends die or if there's a, a situation like that, I, I know that it's okay to weep. The world would tell you that, you know, men should not weep. We should say strong and stoic and and sometimes, you know, for the family or for this or for that. But, you know, when I look at Jesus, I see when when there were sad times, he cried. I see when he goes to the, the wedding feast in Cana, you know, and everybody's drank all the wine. And most of us would say, you drank too much wine, drunkard. And Jesus makes more wine for the party. So that people can keep celebrating this marriage that just happened. Because marriages and and weddings are fun. And should be celebratory times. And Jesus doesn't go and squash all the fun. He makes more wine for the, and good wine apparently. Because the host of the wedding was like, hey, this is good stuff. And you see Jesus, you see him standing in the face of sin. And saying, no, not compromising. Understanding people's situations, but never allowing for sin to flourish calling out men like Zacchaeus and the woman at the well on their sin and telling them basically that this is not what God wants or has ordained for you. This is not your life. And so men, especially today, one thing that that will change the world, especially the world that you're in, your little sphere of influence, the, the people that you come in contact with, will be you being a man according to the scriptures, according to what according to the template that Jesus has laid out for us. So turn to Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to get into this just a little bit. Last week, we talked about putting off the old self, and we went through this, this whole laundry list of things that we put off, things like sexual immorality and anger, and we kind of more clearly defined what those things were because they were kind of general Like we can never be angry? No, the the Bible's clear that not to let your son go down in anger. James chapter one says, be slow to anger, but just being angry all of the time is not justified. And there's special anger that's reserved for God alone when it comes to things like wrath, we don't, we don't get to have that kind of anger. We can be angry because sin has happened, injustice has occurred, we've been wronged, but not to the point where it deems other people unsaved or unworthy of salvation. That anger alone is reserved for the Lord. Colossians chapter 3 verse 12 says this. We're going to talk about since we put off something, now we have to put something on. Verse 12 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And and verse 17 is what I believe Pastor Mike's gonna teach on next week. And whatever you do in word or or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Jesus, um, all I'm asking for today is for your word to be true, for you to be God, and allow me to say things that um, are only true and according to your scriptures. Um, If I err, Lord, please reel me in and and, and give us ears to hear and eyes to see what your word says. As it says to richly dwell in the word of Christ, that's what we want to do today. And may you receive all the glory, and may our lives be changed, and may the world be changed in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing Paul says, initially he says, put off put to death, kill, destroy the old man. And hopefully we're doing that. It's a lifelong process. If you haven't accomplished it yet, that's okay. Keep doing it. Don't try it and sin comes back and you're like, I give up. No, that's, that's the worst. If you, if you are fighting daily, that is good. And one day we'll stand before the Lord, we'll stand in Christ, and that sin nature will be completely gone. We will be transformed. We will be completely brand new. That transformation, sanctification process will be done and we will stand before God completely changed, able to even stand in his presence because we are in Christ. And he will say, good and faithful servant and he will, he will be our God and we will be his people all because of what Jesus did. Now, in putting that off though, there is no new- neutral place to stand. If, you've, if you simply are just putting those things off, trying to fight those as habits... You've missed the point of the scripture. You've missed the point of why Paul is writing to the Colossian church in the first place. They were, in seeking fullness or fulfillment, putting on all of these things. So seeking fulfillment in Christ, but then engaging in sexual immorality. you know, uh, Prostitution and, and uh, any, any, kind of, any kind of sexual relationship outside of the marriage uh, covenant of a man and a wife or a man and a woman. They were, they were seeking fulfillment by incurring wrath upon people who had wronged them. This will make us feel fulfilled. And it would just ended up empty all the time. So Paul writes to them. And you can't simply put those things off. You, you're like uh, untreated wood or you're like a, a, something that's not been protected. You have to be filled back up, put something back on, go from one place to the other. There is no middle ground. You can't just put off stuff and then think, okay, I'm all right now. No, if you're not putting on Christ then you're going to go right back to that which you put off. The word that Paul uses is literally like putting on clothes. Most of us, I look around, it looks like all of us, got up this morning and put clothes on. Praise God. We should do that. That's a good thing. Um, We are now enveloped by cloth, cotton, whatever, whatever we're wearing, we're now enveloped by, okay? It's not who we are, it's just a covering. That same word Paul uses about Jesus is put on Christ. Now, not put on like fake it. There's a popular saying, fake it till you make it. I really hate that because I don't want to fake anything. I'd rather just be honest and be like, yeah, I messed up again. Or, you know what, I'm just not getting this. Or, or this is hard. I'd rather just be honest and try to fake it and have, uh, have uh, my brothers and sisters in Christ come alongside me and help me. 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not, peop- not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The point of this is not just like, oh, you know, I need to put off bad habits and pick up new habits. The idea is you are a brand new people. You are a chosen people, royal priesthood, not based on anything you've done. We don't have a resume that fulfills, yeah, I've done this. I served in children's church. I brought donuts. You know, I only missed like two uh, Sundays in, in 2015. I mean, look at my resume. I'm doing all right, Jesus. Okay, you're a, you're a royal priesthood. You know, you're, you're a chosen people. Come on in. No, we, we receive that because of what Jesus has done. We have been bestowed that because of what he's done on the cross, It's his sacrifice that has purchased that for us. And now we get to glory in what the word calls the light. We were once people who were in darkness, Jesus said, but now we have seen a great light. We have seen the hope of Christ. And if if you're not there today, I'm praying, hoping, we are cut, I pull no punches. I want you to know Jesus. I don't want you to know me and then know Jesus. I want you to have a relationship with Jesus to where I'm almost unnecessary as a pastor. I mean, I'll still pastor you, but but you know how to pray. You know how to read the scriptures. You know how to have community. And it's not me trying to be the referee of all of that. It's like, hey, it's like, I'm just helping you get to the green grass and get to the still waters, just like Jesus is doing for us. But Peter says and backs up what, Paul is already saying, we have switched sides. We've gone from team Satan, sin, death to life, eternal life, Jesus' side. We, we're not in the middle somewhere. We're not dragging our feet and trying, if you're trying to put both those together, it's never going to work. But when Jesus saved us, he cleansed us, he purified us, he, he, he gave us his Holy Spirit and brought us from dark into light. To me, and I hope to you today, that if you, as you have experienced the darkness of this life, that that's a great joy and a great hope. That Jesus has brought you out of that darkness. Earlier this week, it was Ethan's uh, birthday. And so we went to Canada, because what kid doesn't want to go to Canada? So we go to, that was a joke, Canadians got it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so we went up there and there was, a, there was a water slide park thing. So we went through this water slide. And there's big tubes as you go through, a lot of fun, but they were completely dark. It was really, it, it's unsettling. I mean, you're already, you know, as a larger man, you're flying through what's like a barrel of a gun that's twisty, and you're just flying at high rates of speed, and, and you know there's a pool coming at the end, you don't know what that's going to be like. But anyways, uh, disoriented, like, what? it's just, you're not ready for it. I thought there'd be a little window, some light, nothing, completely dark. So I'm flying in there. I'm like, whoa, my gosh, this is crazy. And I'm, I don't know whether to lay back or to sit up. And is something going to slap me in the face, I just disoriented completely. The darkness was so intense. I was, I was coming around and saying it was scary. But then as you turn this one corner, you saw some light and it was like, oh, we're almost done. This four and a half second ride. This four and a half second ride of death is almost over. And there we go. There's the light. And you come, oh, and you're you're like doing one of these. And you splash in the water. And you get water up your nose. And you're like, oh, and you jump up. And and all you hear is, let's do it again. Like, ah, yeah, let's do it again. Had so much fun. I'm not complaining at all. But the contrast, the darkness, when you started to see the light was so refreshing and, and, and brought back hope, yes. Yes, we are at the end of this, and and I see now, and no longer disoriented and, and enveloped by darkness. Now I have seen this, not great light, but light. And the Bible says that we have been brought from one to the next. We are not the same person we were. Oh, we might do the same stupid stuff from time to time. We might have the same reactions from time to time, but God is in the business of purifying us of those things. And so today you might not be at a place where you are, as James says, slow to anger, quick to listen, slow to speak, but God's getting you there. You're going to, as you are going through this process, you're going to start being cognizant. See, before Jesus, there's no cognizance. It's just like, this is what I do, and this is what I feel, and this is how I do stuff. But then you get, meet Jesus, and, and all of a sudden you start seeing other people's perspective and going, man, you know, why are they doing that? I mean, they hurt me, but I, I'm trying to figure out why they hurt me. I'm trying to understand them, not because what they've done is right, but to better understand why they're coming at me like that. I, I, I no longer want to just destroy my enemies. I want to pray for my enemies. I don't look at thing, groups like ISIS and just want them dead, although that seems like a pretty good deal, I understand that Jesus died for them and, and there are men there who are trapped in a great darkness and they are, they are seeking fulfillment by taking the lives of others just to come up empty time and time again. I praise God that he is using men and, and having them to have dreams and to see Jesus and give their life to the Lord to flee organizations like ISIS and Al-Qaeda to give their life to Christ even at the expense of their own life. We have been changed from dark into light. You are no longer the same person. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, he is your Messiah, he is the anointed one, he is your God, he is your Savior, he is everything to you. Your life, all in all, Paul says in Colossians, then today you have been switched from one side to the other. There are only two sides. You are in the dark or you are in the light. And if you have placed your faith in Jesus, he has pulled you out of the dark and put you into the light. Paul also says, Put on then as God's chosen ones. What does that mean? Chosen? Let me give you a fun fact about Tony. I was a chubby kid. I don't, yeah, I know that's probably a shock to you guys, but, you know, middle school was really rough for me because when you're in grade school, you know, kindergarten through sixth grade, I really liked uh, sports, still do, and I loved playing, and you'd go out to recess, whether it was, you know, grade school or middle school, but especially middle school when guys start, you know, having those growth spurts and you you go away for summer vacation come back and they've got goatee's and you're like what the heck like you wh- what? Like you you have you're wearing a tank top i can see armpit hair like that's not fair how did you develop so fast voice is all deep like what when did you start smoking why is your voice so deep and so athletic comparisons aren't really fair cuz some guys are like slowly becoming men and other guys are just little chubby white kids that Aren't that fast, but I loved sports, and because I was uh, a little bigger i I could I may not be able to outrun people, but I could run through people. I found that to be a pretty uh pretty good um, tactic. But when it came time to choose sides, I was never first because nobody picks the short. Chubby kid. He's going to be slow. He's not going to be good. And so we're not going to pick him. So I was almost always last. And I learned to get used to that because I knew I was going to go out and have fun and play anyways. Um, I just wanted to be with my friends. That's all I really cared about. But, you know, you go through that process and they're looking at you and they're, and they're sizing you up. And ladies, I don't know if you guys do something like this, but in PE and things like that, this is just the worst. And, they're, and you're like, oh, him. You're like, me? And it's like, no, the guy with the crutches behind you. I'd rather have him than you right now. Like, ah, oh, jeez. So you get picked last, and you go and have fun. And then, surprise, I run them over, and they're like, oh, we should pick Tony. Well, I got the best of them. Anyways, <laughs> that's not the point of this service. Um, my point is this, that, that whole process of being looked over is not really that fun, is it? Whether it's at, going for job interviews or applying for school, when you've got to meet certain criteria, and you're like, oh, I hope I'm good enough. I hope that, that they see something in me that's intriguing or interesting or something they have to have. And then when they say, no, the job's not for you, or no, you're not getting picked for the team, it's devastating. I mean, we can hide it a little well, especially for guys, but man, it's like, ah, we weren't chosen. And if you have some kind of problem with rejection, oh, it's the worst. But here's the good news. God has chosen you. If we were picking sides today, if we were getting ready to have, you know, a South Bay Chapel intramural football thing out in the yard, the yard because we're in prison, out in the yard... (laughs) (laughs) and God had a side where he was picking we'd all be picked first somehow the Bible says that he chose you not because you did good things he chose you not because you chose Jesus he chose you before the foundations of the earth he knew you before you were even conceived thought of before you were anything God knew you and chose you to be with him forever see we come to Jesus and we Ask for forgiveness of our sins, not knowing that it is God Himself who wrote us and what the Bible calls the Lamb's Book of Life. Our names are there, never to be blotted out, never to be erased, to be there for all of eternity. Because God chose us. See when I when I when I read that that God chose me, not because I'm holy and beloved. See Paul, I, I have to believe that that's in an order, specifically, intentionally. Put on, how do you put it? I got to read it. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. See the order? You're not holy and beloved, thus you are chosen. You are chosen, thus you are holy and beloved. You are chosen by God. God loves you. God cares for you. God is the good father who watches after you, even when you think he is not there or absent, he is there because he has chosen you. He is not capable. And I know that sounds weird to say God's not capable of something. He's not capable of forsaking you. He has chosen you, so he knows you, and everything good or bad you've done, he knew that and still chose you. A.W. Tozer has a quote, and I'll paraphrase, but basically, God's the one who knows everything about you and loves you still. There are some folks, they love us till they get to know us. Like, what? You like the Dallas Cowboys? I don't know if I can be friends with you anymore. Just found that out. This would have been good information to learn right, you know, at the beginning. Or, oh, you know, you, uh, you do this or you do that. You know, it's just, we don't, we don't know people. And then we get to know them, and we're like, oh, you seem like such a nice guy. You seem like such a nice gal. God knows everything about us. There's no dirt, no darkness that he could see in us that repulses him to where he casts us out. No, he knew those things and wants to purge them from us. And I tell you, I I don't know of another God in existence who accepts me in spite of my proclivity to sin. He's given me a new nature. He's made me a new person. I still fail. He does not leave. He does not forsake. He does not stop loving. We don't do that. How many people have we, I'll say the word killed, but, uh, but I use that in the phrase of, you know, maybe bad-mouthing them on the internet or in the, in the media. How many people have we just tried to destroy because they just don't fit our, our criteria? And we were with them, we were with them, we were with them, they mess up and we leave. You know, they, 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 they expose some sin that was in their life and we just can't be a part of them anymore. I praise God that he's not like that. We, we might be fickle, but God is not. And I rejoice in that because it's not a license to sin. You know what that does? That makes me want to live that holy and beloved life that we've been called to. It doesn't make me say, oh, oh God still loves me even if I have a sin. I'll just go sin some more because I don't love sin anymore. God has changed my heart. If I love sin because Jesus will just forgive it, I haven't met Jesus because I still love sin. And you can't love Jesus and love sin at the same time. It's one or the other. He'll either either change you to where you're repulsed by sin, or you're unchanged and sin's still a good thing. John 8 and 12 says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but but will have the light of life. I love that. So that means when you get into situations that the rest of the world gets into, you don't have to react like them. You know, we've seen a lot of stuff happen over the last couple weeks, haven't we? Gorilla getting shot, young man raping a girl, getting a lenient sentence, Orlando massacre, uh, shooting at a gay club, uh, alligator eats a baby. I mean, we've seen some horrific things happen. And you go online and it's just, it's really just a good idea to stay offline when those types of things happen, because everybody becomes an expert all of a sudden. Everybody knows everything about every detail, and, and really all it is, is is people betraying James 1, where it says to be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to anger. Everybody's quick to anger and quick to speak, because I got a keyboard, and I'm going to say my two cents, and those parents should have been watching their kid, and this, that guy is the worst, and he is, but that guy is the worst, and, and uh, this political thing, and this, uh, ban this, and do that. It's like nobody knows all the stuff. God alone does. We have been changed so that we don't have to react that way. We don't have to give our two cents because something happened. Because... We, our time is better spent going to the Lord and saying, Lord, it's happened again. There's been another mass shooting. What is going on? How can I be changed? How can I be helped? What do I do? Lord, I pray for those families who are mourning and in loss right now. I pray for the people who are stuck in darkness and think they've done something good. Lord, I see, that's better time spent than just, oh, well, I'm going to go online and blah, 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 and get into an argument with somebody I don't know. Ephesians 2 and 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, for which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The Lord knows you. That should startle you, to say the least, but you should rejoice to know that he doesn't leave you, even though he probably has every right to. So Paul says, we, we, we put off the old, now, we put on the new. This is very shaky ground, not because the word of God is not true, but because we can slip into legalism really quick. Hey, just do all these things. God will approve of you. No, God approved of you when you put your faith in Jesus. If you were to go to hell, it would not be for the actions that you've done. It would be because of your disbelief in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Okay? The, the sins won't help. <laughs> but if you reject Jesus as Savior, there you go, you're done. But if you give your life to Christ, you will go to be with the Lord. He will be your God. You will will be his people because of what Jesus has done on the cross. But as we live here, now we are changed. There are fruit. There is is, uh, 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 something that should come from us as Christians. As I noted before, our reaction to the world and what's happening should be different than the rest of the world. Even if they happen to get it right, we should be seeing it through Jesus. So the first thing Paul says that we put on is compassionate hearts. Compassion, pity, mercy. We are not looking to destroy, we are looking to have compassion upon folks, especially those who are in mourning and who are lost. You know, sometimes it's really easy to to stand up and rail against the world and what they're doing. But have you ever stopped to think that, you know, Without the Holy Spirit of God, why would they? Honestly, from their worldview, if there is no God and there is no right or wrong, then I marvel that sin has been held in check for so long. But how could we rightly judge them when they don't have the power that we do? We do some of the things they do and we have the Holy Spirit of God. It's why we look inward. It's why we look at ourselves. It's why we judge the church. And we look out in the world and say, you know what? They need Jesus. Before they get cleaned up of homosexuality, before they get cleaned up of greed and malice, before they get cleaned up of anger and and adultery and, and all these other things, they need to know Jesus. Because cleaning those things all up just makes them whitewashed tombs. If they don't know Jesus, they haven't been, oh sure, they'll have some temporal significance, but nothing eternal. Do we only give compassion and pity and mercy to those who deserve it? No. That's the mark of difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. We will have compassion upon those that don't deserve it. Why? Because we've received compassion when we don't deserve it. I love that God is not asking us to do anything that he himself has not already done through Jesus. He wants us to have compassion upon each other and the world, because he has shown us compassion and mercy. That means when the world deserves judgment in hell, when, when we have the right to avenge what has happened to us, we show mercy. They might deserve it, but we're gonna show mercy. Why? Because we deserved hell and wrath, and God stood in the place for us and took that hell and wrath on our behalf. He showed us mercy by not giving us what we deserved. Number two, put on kindness. This is moral kindness and integrity. Integrity is doing stuff that's right when nobody else is looking. It's real easy to do the right thing when people are looking, right? Oh, look at Pastor Tony. Look at him. Look at him. Like I put my tithe in the thing this morning because I forget. And I I build it up at home and then I bring it and put it in the plate. And I was going to forget again. I'm like, I don't want to do this in front of everybody, but everybody's doing it. So I'll just throw it in there. But, you know, there's the risk of, oh, look at Pastor Tony with his tithe, blah, blah, blah. He thinks he's so holy. Because that's how you guys talk. You think he's so holy. But integrity says, well, what do you do outside of the eyes of the people? What do you do when nobody else is around? When you're at work and the boss can't see you, and your coworkers are focused on their work, what are you doing? When, when you're at home and 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 nothing else, you no, know, nobody else is peering in, and, and who are you? Integrity says that you are kind and here and here and here and here you're the same kindness all the time or at least you're aiming for the same kindness every time you haven't decided excuse me kindness for this group kindness for that group not for them not for them especially not for them and for these ones you're kind all of the time now, this is ideal sometimes we get angry kindness flies right out the window i get that god gets that if god didn't know that, he wouldn't have died for you because he would have thought, oh, they'll never sin again. But he knew that. And God's mercy and God's grace extends even when when you are saved and you still mess up. Not a license to sin, but the openness to come back. Humility, this is humbleness of mind. This This is being aware of how little we are. The other night, and I shared this a couple weeks ago, either on a Wednesday or on a Sunday, I can't remember, but we got this app for the phone, and you're supposedly, uh, supposed, supposedly able to see like Jupiter and all these different planets, so we got this app to show us where it was at. Super cool. Just amazing. Best $2.99 I ever spent. You're looking at all these things, different constellations. You're like, "What? This is amazing. This has been above my head all this time. I haven't even looked. This is great. And you're reminded of just how little you are You're reminded, like, like my daughter asked me, what's the universe? I was like, that is the most profound question I've ever heard in my life. What is the universe? It's everything. It's all the stuff. Like space and dinosaurs and us and the earth and the sun, all of that together. It's so much, my little mind was just like, oh, gosh, five-year-olds with their little questions. You're reminded of how little we are. You know, uh, we tend to spend so much time trying to Puff each other up like, oh, you're so important. Oh, you're so, and we call that encouragement. It's a better encouragement just to be reminded that we are so small in the grand scheme of God's plan, yet God has still chosen us. Isn't that the weirdest paradox? We're so little, but yet we're so cared for. Humility says, you know what? I'm not the most important person in the room. I'm not the most important person at my job. I'm not the most important person in the world. I am so tiny. Even though the Lord loves me, I'm a small part of that sea of worship in the book of Revelation. My voice is lending to all the other voices as we worship God. It's just being cognizant of that smallness. You can have a great impact on your children, especially you dads. You you don't know what it means for your children, how they hear you and see you and how you react to them. It's going to change their life forever. But in the grand scheme of things, when it comes to all of creation, all that God has made, man, we are so tiny. And that's the kind of humility we're supposed to put on. Not just like an Eeyore, woe is me, well, I guess I'm just going to go to bed. No, it's like, you know what? Man, God is so big and I am so small. He has done so many things. I believe that's why he's called us to be slow to anger because we don't see all the stuff all the time. We just assume. Well, you did this. You must have, done, you must have meant this. Well, I don't, no, that's not all the things. So we can't go off and be righteously angry because we don't have all the facts, but God does. When it does come time for God to separate the sheep from the goats and judge the goats, he will do so with full knowledge of everything. It's not like they'll pull out some card and be like, hey, I got this. You didn't know about this, God. I'll let you in. You're a sheep. No, he'll do so on both sides knowing everything. And like I said, that should freak us out, but it should also encourage us because he's still there. Meekness. Meekness is a very interesting word because most people hear weakness when they hear meekness. Nothing could be further from the truth. Um, Jesus was very meek from time to time. What that means is that he reserved the power that he had. So he could have called on you know, a legion of angels to come and help him on the cross, but he didn't. That's, that's meekness. That's reserving power. There are times where we have the power to just unload on somebody. And some of us are looking for those moments because somebody's wronged us, so we're going to go do it to somebody else. Just looking for, as cashier looked at me crooked, ah, oh, she's going to get it. That's not meekness. It's being a bully. It's being quick to anger. It's not being meek. Meek as I have the power to do this, but yet I reserve to not do it because there's a greater good in me being meek. And primarily that's showing Jesus. James 1 and 19 says, know this, and I've only quoted this like 500 times already. My beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Not only should we be slow to anger, we should understand that even in our best anger, we miss so much. And you know, we don't have the perspective of the other person. We don't, we don't know what they've been through. They don't know what we've been through. And so to fly off right into anger, to, to instead of being meek, just exercise whatever little authority you have or whatever little power you have, it, it ends up not doing anything, especially not produce the righteousness of God. Fifth, it says put on patience. King James' long-suffering, patience, endurance, constancy, steadfastness, perseverance, specifically in bearing with one another, specifically if you have a complaint against one another, and forgiving each other. Paul doesn't say, forgive other people because they've made things right. The Bible doesn't tell us forgive them because they've made some type of reconciliation or, or restoration of what they've taken from you. It says, forgive because you've been forgiven. And I, I don't know if, if, if anything else in this Christian walk is harder than this. I mean, there are sins that we can crucify. I know people who have kicked things like meth and heroin, but can't get this one down. I've seen people, and myself included, where pride enters in, it's like, oh, this, this part of forgiving another person, being patient through that pain is just gonna be too much. And sometimes it will be. And sometimes that's the point. Because that breaks pride. That breaks you from from that which you're holding on to because you're right and they're wrong. And I've been wronged and they deserve this. Paul says, be long-suffering. Bear with one another. Why? Because we're people and we say things and we do things and we don't do them thoughtfully, and we don't do them with all of the information. We don't even know who we're hurting sometimes. Sometimes I, I go on Facebook because I have knowledge of people individually sometimes that other people don't have. You know, I'll see people share stuff on Facebook that I know will cause somebody else to sin. If they see it, I just know it. I've had people come and tell me that that's what's happened. I go, oh man, they have the power to do that, and they share it not knowing that somebody over here is suffering as a result of it. Somebody over here now is struggling with sin because something was just clicked and pushed and shared. it's, it's, It's not something that's easy to be cognizant of all the time, and we can't save everybody. That's not the point. The point is being cognizant of what we're doing and being cognizant of other people. Being cognizant... Of their struggles, knowing that when somebody does that to us, it's the worst. Oh, gosh, I can't get that image out of my head. I can't get that thought out of my head. I know it's wrong. Lord Jesus, help me. Not knowing that we did that to somebody. If that does happen, there's a biblical structure on how to get things right again. In the Bible, it says that if you have a problem with somebody go to that person. It's revolutionary, I know. The idea of one person going to another person to talk about the issues they might have is a, it's like seeing a unicorn when that happens. Because so many people instead, especially nowadays, well, they'll talk to their friends. And have you ever noticed that when you have an issue with another person and you go and talk to your friend, they totally agree with you and they know that other person's wrong? Here's a little insight. I don't know if you guys know this, but the person on this side, they're talking to their friend. And their friend agrees with them. And their friend knows that they're wrong. And what has happened is, is we've gone we found our little crews and our cliques and our groups. And now it's We're just, now now you have people who hate each other and they weren't even involved. So the Bible has this revolutionary idea of just going to the person who's wronged you. Hey, this hurt. Hey, I didn't like that. Hey, remember when you said this thing? Not cool. And talking it out. Well, if that doesn't work, the Bible says, well, then you bring in witnesses. Because it might be like a he said, she said, you know, they said, whatever, back and forth, one word against another. So now we need witnesses. You stole my bike. No, I didn't. I've got witnesses. Bring them in. So here's these guys. i like, yeah, I saw you. You were riding this bike the other day, and I know it's not yours. And yeah, I saw you too. I saw you take it from where it was parked, and... And okay, then you have some resolution. But, but maybe that doesn't work because this person's still like, I didn't steal your bike. You ever had a bike stolen from you, especially as a kid? The worst. If that doesn't happen, you go to the pastor. A lot of folks come to me first, and I'm not discouraging that, but, but the first thing is to go to the person. Second thing is to get some witnesses involved. Third is to go to the pastor and let the pastor kind of try to bring some peace amongst the whole thing. And then if that doesn't work, if clearly this man has stolen the bike and he's unrepentant, he's not giving the bike back, he's actually sold it and melted it down for scrap or something, then that person gets kicked out of the church. But the church is for everybody and all inclusive. No, the church is for the people who, who believe in Jesus, who give their life to the Lord, who are seeking, who are looking. Everybody is welcome until you start hurting other people in the church. You start taking advantage of people We're talking about somebody who is clearly wronged, not just an accusation, not something that's unfounded, not like Jesus during his mock trial, just people just saying random stuff to try to get him crucified. We're talking about actual proof and evidence. Then you kick him out of the church. So So then hopefully that final step might bring them to repentance, might bring them to a place of reconciliation, saying, you know what, I did take your bike. I'm sorry, how can I make this right? And there's forgiveness and there's peace and and restoration, hopefully, and and a rebuilding of trust that'll take time, but it still happens. Paul says, Be long suffering, bear with one another, because, man, people are going to say stuff. And when they say stuff, have some grace. Man, why are they saying this? They seem like an intelligent person, and now they're saying this thing, and, and why are they saying it? Lastly, we'll wrap it up with this. Verse 14 says, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were called in one body. And be thankful. See, when I just said that thing about putting people out of the church, you would think, that's very unloving. I'm going to let them stay in the church. When a sheep, excuse me, when a shepherd has a sheep, and a wolf enters in, the most loving thing he can do for those sheep is get rid of the wolf even at the expense of the life of the wolf. And sometimes sheep go rogue and become wolves. They just do. They grow fangs, they get the ears, and they come in and they look to devour other sheep and make them into wolves just like them. The most loving thing that can be done in that instance is to get rid of that wolf. Because that wolf, unchecked, will keep going and going and going and going and going. So when we talk about love, it's not just about the warm, fuzzy goodness that we feel because of Jesus. I mean, that's a legit thing. I'm not speaking out against that. What I'm saying is that there is times where we do things that would appear unloving to others, but in fact is very loving. When you're called out on the sin that you have engaged in, a brother in the faith, a sister in the faith comes to you and says, you know what, so-and-so, I don't think you should be doing that. Oh, you're so judgmental. How could you? The Bible says not to judge somewhere. I've never read the Bible, but it's somewhere in there. The most loving thing you could do is call them out on that. It would be very unloving to allow them to go into that uh, pain that's just coming. It's going to be there. Sometimes the most loving thing you could do is just be blunt and say, you know what, this is what the Word says. Don't trust me, don't trust my teaching, but just go back to the Word. Go back to, you know, you think getting angry all the time is okay, but here's what the Word says about anger. And I love you too much to allow you to keep going into that. Well, I think that there's multiple ways to to God. Well, let's go back to the Word and see what the Word says. Because Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so either you're right or the Bible's right. and I'm going to stick with the Bible. And I want you to know what the Word says and let you make your own choice on that. Love, Paul says, binds all these other things together. But here's the trick of all this. And it's not a trick. That's just the word I chose foolishly. Love is the root of worship, and love is that which brings it all together. But if we try to put on each one of these things, like putting on socks, like put on socks, put on pants, and and maybe underwear at first, then pants, and then a shirt, and put on, you know, jewelry. If we just look at it like, oh, put on kindness, put on meekness, put on we're going we're gonna to lose. You know what I mean? We're just going to fail. We're going to burn out. Here's why. Because those things that we are to be put on get put on when we put on Christ. Romans 8 and 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You want to be more, com- you heard of this and like, Lord, yes, I want to be more, I want to be compassionate and meek and I want to I wanna be all these things. But if you focus on these things, you've lost focus of Jesus. If you put on Christ, these things will come out of you. This is why it's called, in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. If you try to just put on, which is what the world's doing, just try to put on all these different characteristics, you're going to fail. The world's doing that and failing miserably at it. So what's the difference? We're putting on Christ. Christ comes into you, and then you start being different. Your mind is different. Your desires are different are different, how you see the world is different, how you see kids is different. And this, for all people, but today I wanna emphasize men in general, or specifically, is lost and we need to reclaim this. Church, we need to, men, we need to look back to these verses and say, okay, this is what Christ wants for us as men. How do I do that? I get closer to Christ. How do I do that? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You ever have a really rich piece of cake? You're like, oh, it's so good, but man, two more bites, I'm going into a diabetic coma. Like I, I can it's so rich. The, the, the flavor, the chocolate, the whatever in there is just so, the, the ratio is so high compared to all the other ingredients and it's just magnificent, but man, it's a lot. That's how the word of Christ should dwell in us. not just just enter into our minds, but dwell, live, take up residency in you. You want to be compassionate. You want to be merciful. You want to put off the sins of the old life. Then you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That means you read the word for yourself. That means you open it on this or on your device or your phone and you you, you read it. And you come at the end of the day and you go, "I I don't get that. But you've read it, you've, you've let it dwell in you, and tomorrow you'll do it again. And you'll begin to see such a change in you and your family and your wife and just everything. It will be you putting on Christ, letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly, singing psalms and hymns. And, and you know, when we sing those songs, we don't sing them for pleasure. We don't come in here with the top 40 hits and just play that. We sing songs that glorify Jesus. We sing songs that we can sing together. You know, we're not the best singers. We're not the best players, but we just love Jesus. And we're going to sing our hearts out the best we can. We're going to play the guitar best we can. Because we're coming together and we want Jesus to dwell in us richly through his word. Don't do the list. Put on Jesus. See, to me, that's like a burden taken off my shoulders like i'm going through the list, going oh compassion and mercy and meekness and all that stuff and i've got so much to do and the bug guy's coming tomorrow and and i gotta go to that appointment and and then on top of all that i gotta try to be all these things and i just want to i just want to rip my hair out that's what the world's doing we're not called to that my goal get up jesus i want to be like you I want to be, I want to walk as you walked. I want to do, I'm going to fail. I know it because I'm not Jesus. But Lord, help me. Help me to be like you. Help me to react like you. Help me to live like you. Help me to love like you. And you'll begin to see all these things happen because Jesus is in you. And so today I want to pray for you that 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 burden and guilt of performing would be gone and the new charge of accepting or, 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 or bringing in, letting it dwell in you richly, letting that take its place. Let's stand, let's pray. Second Corinthians 5 and 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You want to be new? You want a new chance? You want a new shot? Today's your day. If you've never given your life to Jesus, give your life to Jesus today. If you have, but you've fallen back and maybe backslidden, well, today's the day to give your life to Jesus again. And we don't need a lot of fanfare. We don't need a lot of fireworks. We just need recommitment. After this, we'll go have coffee and donuts. Talk a little bit if you want to. Pray with each other if we need to. But go home and have a wonderful rest of our Father's Day. Amen. Father, we come to you today in the name of Jesus Christ. I thank you that we get to call you Father. I mean, you know it's Father's Day. Father's Day. And that might be something that we kind of made up because, you know, it sells cards and makes us feel good. But it's still a good day, Lord, to remember, especially us dads, that you have allowed us to share such an honorable title. We are not the good father like you are, but man, we get that privilege of being called dad by another human? Lord, we thank you for that. As a result, Lord, whether that's us or whether we're just a single guy or whether we're uh, a woman or whoever we are, Lord. Lord, we want to be more like you. We see this list. We see the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. We see the the result of what we should be doing. And I'll be honest with you, Lord. I'm one of those who has looked at the list and tried to be more like that just to get exhausted and burnt out by it. So Lord, I pray today that you would help us to put on Christ instead. I know, Lord, that if Christ is dwelling in me richly, how could meekness not come out? How could compassion for others not come out? How could sin not flee and become disgraceful to me? To lose all flavor to me, Lord? So Lord, we're praying for your miraculous work to come in, to change us. We have invited you in to just come in and wreck everything all the little altars we built, all the little kingdoms we set up, break them all down, Lord, and help us to reestablish this life on the foundation of your son, Jesus. Lord, I understand that as your world and creation kind of spins downward, the times are getting darker, but that just means the light is getting brighter. Help us as new creations to carry that light with us not to beat people with the light, not to blind them with the light, but to show them the great hope that we have, the hope that's found in everything you have done and everything that you are. Jesus, may you receive all of the glory today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.